0: Amen. And that is our prayer tonight, Lord, that we truly would seek your face with our whole heart. Lord, where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to turn to, Lord, when the world is, is in mayhem and falling apart? Lord, we know that you're faithful, you're in control, and we can trust in you. And so, Father, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you truly would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to everyone who's here. May you be our teacher, and we just thank you for your word, that it is living and breathing. And then it applies to every single life that's in here tonight. And none of us is here by chance, but Lord, by divine appointment, you've brought us together to to worship you and to hear from your words. We pray again, may you minister to each of us, may man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Hey, if you're here tonight and you don't have a Bible with you, just raise your hand and we will be happy to loan you a Bible. And if uh, you need to take it home with you, it's absolutely our gift to you, so please take it. If you do have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 1, as we're continuing our verse by verse study through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. Um, for Sunday, I want to encourage you to read Acts chapter 11. We're we'll continuing our verse by verse study through the New Testament on Sunday, and this coming Sunday, we'll be in Acts chapter 11, as well as having our communion and agape feast. And uh, also, I want to encourage you, if you uh, God bless you when you can come, but I want to encourage you, pray about you guys Friday mornings. We have a men's uh, discipleship and accountability group at 7 a.m. in the Heavenly Cafe up in uh, Scotts Valley. We're going through 1 Samuel, and I'm the only guy that doesn't teach at that. You get enough of me on Sunday and Wednesday. And I just really want to see guys just step out and use that gift God's given them. Women, there's women's study on Tuesday morning and Tuesday night. The couples is every other uh, Saturday night at a couple different houses, and then also on Friday nights we have the, the college and career group. So I want to encourage you, just be praying about it, if you've got other nights of the week where you, you're looking for an t- opportunity to get plugged in and really grow, I encourage you to do that. So turn your Bibles again to Numbers chapter 1, we're going to take a look at uh, just a, another book tonight, and praise God, we've we got 7 down and 59 to go, I think, okay, those of you who just got here, we started in Genesis chapter 1, and we started in Matthew chapter 1, and it's taken us three years to get through nine books, so the Lord's going to have to tarry a while before us to get through the rest of them. But God is good, and I want to tell you something, I love the Old Testament. I absolutely love God's Word. The Bible is so awesome how we can look in the Old Testament and see such clear pictures of Jesus Christ. You know, we saw beginning in Genesis how God created man in His image, but man chose to sin. And because of the sinfulness of man in Genesis, we saw that man was separated from God. And we saw that judgment came from the the flood of Noah, and we saw God's promise to Abraham, and all that was in Genesis. But we saw at the end of Genesis that they went down into bondage in Egypt. And so then we saw that the sinfulness of man in Genesis, and then we see Jesus delivering man from bondage in Exodus. Exodus. Remember they were in bondage and God raised up a man by the name of Moses, a man who was a, a prince and then he was a shepherd and he was someone who went from somebody who thought he was somebody to somebody who thought he was nobody to, find, to finally find out that God could only use him when he realized he was not nobody. And you know what? God used Moses and Moses is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ that God used him to deliver the people out of bondage. So they go into Egypt and they are delivered out of bondage and then we came to Leviticus. Now, in Leviticus, we saw really clearly the picture of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. The most frequently used word in Leviticus, who's remember, is what? Blood. It's a very bloody book, and a lot of people don't like it. And again, that's why if you teach topical studies, you're probably never going to hear anything taught out of Leviticus, or very rarely. When we started Leviticus, I asked you how many have gone through Leviticus before, and, and there was one hand, and praise God now. Most of the room has, because we all went through it together. But in Leviticus, we saw that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And we saw that every one of the sacrifices very clearly points to Jesus Christ. We also saw in Leviticus that one of the themes is holiness, that God not only died for us, sent His Son to die for us, but He desires that we walk in holiness before Him. So we see as we're going through the Old Testament books, just a clear picture of salvation and the the sacrificial way to God in the early part of Leviticus, and then walking in holiness in the latter part. So that brings us now to Numbers. Come to the fourth book of what is called the Pentateuch. Pentateuch, penta just means five. It's also called the Books of the Law. In the Old Testament, you have the Law and the Prophets. The first five books are the, is the Law. You also have some poetry and, and you, know, you have Psalms and Proverbs, but it's the Law and the Prophets is the main sections of the Old Testament. And the first five books is called the Mosaic Law because all five of those books were written by, of course, by God, inspired by God, but written by whom? By Moses. That's why it's called the Mosaic Law. And so we come to this fourth book, this book of Numbers, and what the book of Numbers really emphasizes is just the consequences of unbelief and irresponsibility on the part of God's people. The people had to learn that before they could move forward with God, that they had to get right with Him and walk in obedience before Him. And so the title of the book of Numbers gets its title because twice in the book of Numbers, in the chapter we're going to look at tonight, and then in the chapter we're going to look at towards the end, in chapter 26, twice there's a census of all of Israel. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm going to take a few minutes, I want to give you an overview of numbers, all right? So you know what you're looking forward to for the next few months. And so we see these two censuses where they number the people, and that's where the book of Numbers gets its name. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think that that's... Now understand that God's Word is divinely inspired, amen? God wrote it, we don't change it. But the titles for the books are not divinely inspired. Okay? The titles that are given to the books are just titles that were given so they would have a name. And it's interesting that the Hebrew text, it refers to it as the the time in the wilderness. It's In the Wilderness is the title of the book. And I believe that's actually a better title for Numbers because that's really what it emphasizes is the time that the Jews spend in the wilderness. Okay, and we're going to talk about that as we move on. It's also called by modern-day Jewish writers as the, the book of murmuring. Because not only do we see them wandering, but we see them whining and complaining and murmuring. I've talked to you guys about this before. This would be one brutal church to pastor. Three million murmurers, okay, three million whiners, three million people that when he went up, remember in Exodus, when he went up on the mountain to get the the Ten Commandments, when he came back down, what were they doing? Who remembers? They were worshiping a golden idol and having a drunken brawl. The guy leaves for 40 days, and he comes back down, and the church is a total wreck. And so... We get to 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 um, numbers now, and he's they're going out away from Mount Sinai, and that's what we're going to see. They're going to depart from Mount Sinai, and they're going to spend thirty-nine years. The first year the, of their exodus has been covered in Exodus and Leviticus. Exodus covered about twelve months. Leviticus only covered about one month of actual time. Now you can say, Pastor David it took you six months to teach through it. How could it only take a month? But I'm slower than Moses is. Okay. And the reality is it was about a one month period of time. But now as we get to numbers, we're going to move on from, from just a short amount of time to a book that covers about 39 years. So we're going to see that Israel's is going to murmur and they're going to have a heart of unbelief. And they're going to start off well, like many Christians do, like many people do. They're going to start off well and there's a desire to walk in obedience before God, but then they're going to blow it. And they're going to find unbelief. And then when they become unbelieving, it's going to result in heavy-duty consequences. And that's really the theme of numbers, is that when we disbelieve and we're disobedient before God, the consequences come. Because what's going to happen is, an 11-day trip is going to turn into a 40-year wandering. And it happens just because, quite simply, they get to the point where they don't believe what God has told them. They murmur, they complain, they even get to the point where they say, let's elect somebody to take us back to Egypt. They're in bondage for 400 years, and they want to go back to Egypt because they're afraid of the enemy when they get to the land of the promise. They look into the land of promise, they forgot what God told them, and they look at their circumstances instead, and now they want to go back to Egypt. Well, we had leeks and onions there, and now we were enslaved there, but at least we knew what to expect. Let's go back to Egypt. And we're going to see that that's when God is going to be angry toward them. And we're going to see that they're not going to be able to enter into the land of promise. Now, when did this take place? Again, this was written about 1454 B.C. And during that time, we're going to see a 39-year period. And during that time, we're going to see again that they're going to be out in the wilderness. Again, from four, excuse me, 1444 to 1405 B.C. It's going to record their their uh, movement from Mount Sinai to the plains of Moab. And again, the theme and the purpose is the consequence of sin and what happens when we're, when we're disobedient to God. We're going to see the, the patience and the holiness of God, but the impatience and the unbelief of God's people. We're also going to see how God will use trials to to make His people more like Him. You know... When you go through trials and tests, God will use it for His glory if you will let Him. Amen? In the midst of a trial, you can do one of two things. You can run from God or you can run to Him. And we're going to see Israel here runs from Him. Instead of seeking after God and trusting in His Word and following after Him, they're going to run away from Him and the consequences are going to be heavy. You know what, guys? There's no shortcut to Christian maturity. Amen? We want to be spiritually mature right now. You know what I'm saying? Lord, give me patience right now, right? And we want God to, we we want to have the testimony, but we don't want to have the test. And what we we must understand, without a test, there can be no testimony. And without the, the struggles and the trials and having to learn to trust God, even when it doesn't make sense, faith is what? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not seeing and then believing. It's believing and then seeing. That's what faith is. And what happens here at the end of Numbers, they're going to get to, or or halfway through Numbers in chapter 13 and 14, they're going to finally get to the land of promise and they're going to look across and they're going to send the spies out and the spies are going to come back and 10 of them are going to say, oh, there's giants in the land. The Amalekites and the Amorites and the Moabites, you know, all the Enis and the Ites are in there. And you know what? We, we, they're just too giant for us. And, and they're going to squash us. Let's go back to Egypt. But then there's two that come. Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua and Caleb have a totally different opinion. Because while the ten are seeing with physical eyes, Joshua and Caleb are seeing with spiritual ones. They're remembering what God had promised. God had promised that this was going to be the land He was going to take them to. Now remember that this is the, this old generation. They are the ones that saw the the... Plagues that came upon Egypt. They saw every single one of them. They saw the, the Passover. They were there when, when the angel of death came. They were there when the blood of the lamb had to be sprinkled on the doorpost. They saw that perfect picture of the cross. The firstborn spotless lamb and its blood being placed in the same four spots that our Savior bled from. And those who had the blood, the angel of death would pass over, so they were there. If that wasn't enough after seeing all the plagues, they saw their deliverance and then they went through the Red Sea on dry ground. You know, the, the sea was parted. They walked through on dry ground. They saw the, the ground open up and swallow up the people that would not turn to God out at Mount Sinai. They've seen all the great things God has done. They've heard all his promises, but then the circumstances come. They don't want to believe God anymore. And you know what? I have to confess that there's times that I'm guilty of that. How about you? When we say, yeah, Lord, I love you and I believe you and I trust you when I'm on the cruise ship to heaven and everything's great and nobody's sick and the bills are paid and we got a little money in the bank. But when things start getting tough, how do we respond then? Without a test, there can be no testimony. And so that's where Israel is going to be as we go through numbers. They're going to leave Mount Sinai and they're going to go on an 11-day trip that's going to turn into 39 years of wandering. Now, the response that we heard was that first... The, the ten came back and said, there's giants in the land, but Joshua and Caleb came back and said, hey, it's everything God said it would be. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. In Numbers 13 and 30, it says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we know good and well that we will overcome it. And these guys had faith because God had told them, they said, let's go. But the other people said, verse 31 of chapter 13, But the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go against these people, for they are much stronger than we. And you know what? We can look again at our circumstances through physical eyes, and we'll be overwhelmed. You can look at your bank account. You can look at your health situation. You can look at family members that don't know the Lord and are hard. You can look at your job situation. You know, all the different things that we can go through in life. And if we look at it from a physical perspective, often we're going to feel overwhelmed and we're going to want to give up. But the reality is, God is in control. Amen? Is He in control of every single aspect of your life? Yes, He is. Does He know who your coworkers are? Does He know about your finances? He knows way more about your finances than you do. Amen? He knows everything, and He's a faithful God, and we need to let Him work. And so what would happen is that instead of believing the two, they followed after the ten and said, let's go back to Egypt. And the result was this. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness. It's interesting that the, the uh, spies went into the land for 40 days. 40 in the Bible is a number of what? Testing, right? Mount Sinai, 40 days. Rain, 40 days and 40 nights. Noah's Ark. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. So whenever you see 40 in the Bible, think of testing. And so... Forty days they went into the land and the spies came back and two had a good report and ten didn't. They went with the, they went with the crowd. They went on the broad road, right? And they said, so now they're going to wander in the wilderness for the same amount of days that the spies had spent in the land. This first generation was going to be unable to enter into the land of promise. Why? Because they did not trust God's word. They had to have faith. And trust completely in God to enter into the land of promise. And you know what? You and I are going to go through wilderness times in our life. And we can spend 11 days there or we can spend 39 or 40 years there. And when we go through wilderness times, we can look at our circumstances like they did. Or we can learn to trust in the Lord and know that He will deliver us and not wander in despair and unbelief. You know what? The reality is that we've been delivered. Amen? It is finished. Some of, I've, I've prayed in with some of you. I've had some of you call, maybe your background's a little different, and you think you need to be delivered from things. You don't need to be delivered from anything if you're a new creation in Christ. Amen? You've been delivered. You're filled with the Spirit of the living God. You're going to heaven. You're heaven-bound, as DC Talk would say, right? And you have a relationship with the Lord. And so because of that, you can trust in Him no matter what's going on around you. You can be like the apostles in the boat and the waves can be crashing upon the boat and instead of looking at the waves, they should have looked at the Savior because what was Jesus doing in the storm? He was sleeping. He was napping, right? And they looked down and saw Him sleep and if you looked at the Messiah, you're, you're at peace in the midst of the greatest storm. Well, in Numbers, instead of looking to God, they looked at their circumstances, they felt overwhelmed, and they wanted to run back. And then lastly, before we look at the text, I want to talk to you about Jesus in the book. You know, Jesus is in every book of the Bible, amen? He's in Numbers. All over it, probably more times I'm going to mention right now, but I'm going to give you four or five places. First of all, in chapter two that we will see next time, in chapter two, we're going to see even the arrangement of the tribes as they traveled through the wilderness, points to jesus christ i'm going to go ahead and give it away when they traveled we're going to see that they were arranged in a certain way and certain tribes had to be and the way that it's very very specific and we're going to see next time that as they traveled they traveled and the the tribes were set up in the perfect shape of what a cross that as god looked down from heaven as they traveled through the wilderness what he saw was the cross Pretty awesome. That in the center is, is the Holy of Holies, the, the tabernacle, but it's in the perfect shape of a cross, and we'll see that in Numbers chapter 2. Who's that a picture of? Jesus Christ. We're also going to see later on in the text that there's a, what, what do they drink from? What is it that pours out water that takes care of these two to three million people as they're wandering in the wilderness? What is it? It's a rock. And who is the rock? Jesus Christ. And that water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so we see Jesus in the rock. It says in in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. What about the manna that falls from the sky to feed them? Who's the bread of life that comes down from heaven? That's Jesus Christ. In Numbers 21, we're going to see that they're they're being bitten by snakes. And you guys remember the story that they hold up a, a pole, a brass pole with a serpent on it. And everybody who looks at the serpent, what happens? They're healed. Okay? Now, what is that serpent on a brass pole a picture of? It's a picture of Jesus Christ upon the cross, because he that knew no sin became sin for us. Amen? And when we look to the cross, that's when we're saved. And that serpent, a picture of sin, Jesus became sin for us, and that's in Numbers chapter 21. In John 3.14 it says, as, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What about the, cl- the pillar of cloud and the fire that guided them along the way? Again, more pictures of Christ. The six cities of refuge that we're going to see in Numbers. Pictures of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice of the red heifer. Again, pictures of Christ. We'll go into detail when we get to them, but I just want you to be excited about this book. There's great stuff in the book of Numbers. People think, book of Numbers, oh, that must just be a bunch of endless genealogies, and you just read a bunch of names, it's got numbers after them, and that, not, that's just, there's two chapters that have that at all, out of the, you know, the entire book. Numbers is a great book. Time in the wilderness. So the first ten chapters, we're going to see this old generation, the one that was delivered out of bondage, but we're going to see that they, they blow it. They receive the instruction of Mount Sinai. They initially go out and walk in obedience to it, as we're going to see tonight in chapter one. But we're going to find out that when things get tough, they're going to turn away from the Lord. In chapters one through four, he's going to give outward conditions for the camp, just getting them organized. Hey, you got a, you got three million people in your church. You better have a little organization. Amen? And that's what's going to happen in the first four chapters. He's going to give organization for how they camp, and it's going to be a perfect picture of the cross. And then chapters 5 through 10, it's organization for their hearts, and how they should be living, and how they should be interacting with each other. Then in chapters 10 through 25, we're going to see this this tragic transition from these guys who are walking after God and following after God to finally the point where they They don't want to follow Him anymore. And because of doubt and unbelief, they they don't seek after God. And there's rebellion at at this place called Kadesh. And it's going to be the pivotal point of the book, and now they're going to turn away from Him. And unbelief and disobedience is going to result in discipline and consequence, as well as a loss of blessing. This old generation will be doomed to literally kill themselves, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're going to go from having a life of expectation to wandering aimlessly. They're going to be in a place of great expectation. What's God going to do next? He parted the Red Sea. He brought, you know, up on Sinai. And now the tabernacle's there and the glory of the Lord is upon it. What a great time of anticipation. God can do great things. We have no idea what's coming, but it's going to be good. To wandering aimlessly and dying in the wilderness. What happened? What changed anticipation to wandering aimlessly? Walking in obedience to the Lord seeking after Him. Some of you might be here as Christians tonight, and you feel like you're walking aimlessly. I want to encourage you, put Jesus Christ first again. Amen? You can take a million steps away from God, it truly is only one step back. And even as Christians, we can start wandering around, and our life doesn't really have a lot of meaning, and there's no direction, there's no focus, there's no anticipation about what God wants to do with us. And that's what happens to the Israelites. Because they get their eyes off of God, they look at the circumstances, they get overwhelmed, and they don't run to Him in the midst of a trial, they run from Him. And so we're going to see, again, that application for us. And then lastly, chapters 21 through 36, we're going to see a new generation raised up. Because, again, out of this huge number of people, we'll see those numbers tonight, only two are going to make it into the land of promise. Only two people that leave Egypt are going to get to go into the land of promise. And we're going to see tonight, real clearly, that picture. Over 603,000 men, two to three million total people when you add women and children in there, and guess what? Two get to enter into the land of promise. Why? Because of unbelief and because of, of faithlessness when trials came. But here we're going to see this new generation that's raised up. And this new generation is going to actually learn from what's happened to the previous generation. And we're going to see the illustration of both the kindness of God, but also his severity against those who turn from him. So we're going to look at Numbers chapter 1. Here's what we're going to see tonight. We're going to see the command to take a census, we're going to see naming of, of these captains of each tribe, we're going to see the numbering of each tribe. We're going to see that the Levites are not numbered with them because they're called to serve in the tabernacle. And then lastly, we're going to see that they start well. They're going to be obedient in the beginning. But it's not how we start, guys. It's how we finish. Amen? My dad and I say to each other all the time, finish strong. That's one of my favorite statements, finish strong. You know, you can be walking with the Lord for 30 years and you can turn away from Him at any moment. We've seen people do it. It breaks your heart. You know what, Lord, help me finish better than I am right now. Lord, I want to be closer to you a year from now than I am right now. Amen? And may that be true every single year until the Lord comes back. But we see here that Israel's going to start well, but they're going to be overwhelmed by their circumstances, and they're going to end up, instead of having this this focus on God and this anticipation to watch God do great things, they're going to be wandering aimlessly until they die. May nobody in this room be wandering aimlessly until you die. Amen? Amen? May none of us fall into that trap of being so caught up with the world and overwhelmed by our circumstances that we have no impact on eternity. May our lives count. Remember that when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Nothing else is going to matter. And so we're going to go through, we are going to look at a list of names tonight. Now, if you only come tonight, you're going to think, oh, that's exactly what I thought Numbers was about. Because that's pretty much what it's about tonight. We're going to look at listed names. We're going to see how many people were in each tribe. But again, we'll see the significance of it when we get to Numbers chapter 2. And we'll see it throughout the rest of this book. So it is important that the numbers are there. So we're going to go through those. That's why I took took the liberty to take some time to really tell you about this book. Because I'm just going to look at chapter 1 tonight. But I wanted you to just get a grasp of what Numbers is about. You don't walk out of here thinking it's just a bunch of endless genealogies. Because it's not. And even the genealogies in the Bible are there for a reason, amen? Nothing's in the Bible by chance, and I love it when I look at it, and I don't know what it is initially, because I know God's got stuff He wants to tell us. So let's begin in verse 1, and He's going to command them to take a census. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tabernacle of meeting, on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying... So the Lord continues to speak, and who is it that He speaks to all the way through the Bible so far? Moses. Why Moses? Because Moses was available. Because Moses was not a perfect man, but he was an available man. Remember, when he was being sent back, he was a stutterer. I, I can't do it. I don't, I don't, I'm not eloquent of speech, Lord. You can't use me. And God took this man who was a shepherd and and brought him up to the burning bush and gave him the vision that he wanted him to have. And he went back knowing that without God he could do nothing. But he was available. And the greatest ability is availability. Amen? And he speaks to Moses one more time and he's instructing him clearly. And where does he speak to him? In the wilderness of Sinai. Now remember again that they're still at Sinai. They're still at the mountain. It's 13 months after after the exodus when we come to this point. It's only been 13 months, they've been brought out, the first 12 months is what we saw in Exodus, and now it's, it's been one more month of Leviticus. Now the first day of the second month, the tabernacle's been erected for one month. So the tabernacle's there in the center of the people, it's been put together, it's there, the glory of the Lord is upon it. They would look outside their tents, and what was at the center of the camp? The tabernacle. So whenever they woke up in the morning, there was God's glory, and that's where their focus needed to be. But notice here, it says they're in the wilderness of Sinai. And I love the fact that he's in the wilderness, and where does God speak to him when he's in the wilderness? Look what it says. Where? In the what? In the tabernacle of meeting. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever felt spiritually dry? Have you ever got to the point where maybe you even try to open up your Bible on occasion and you're just not, and maybe because you're so busy, you're not really spending the time with the Lord that you should, and you feel like you're in a spiritual desert or a wilderness. I believe this verse right here tells us that when we're dry, what we ought to do. It says here in the wilderness of Sinai, where did he meet the Lord? In the tabernacle of meeting. Now we know today that the tabernacle is us, but I'm I'm talking about here that he went to the place where God met with his people. And God meets us wherever we are, but I also believe that God does something special at church on Sunday and Wednesday, and any other day that we meet, amen? The Bible says, forsake not the gathering yourselves together, and all the more as the day approaches. When we come together as a family, God allows many of us, if not all of us, to use the gifts He's given us, and we're able to minister to each other in a way, again, we need to have that one-on-one devotional time, amen? I believe that's one of the main ways that I grow is my one-on-one time with the Lord. But I also believe that Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Christianity's not something we go in the wilderness by ourselves and sit on a mountaintop and, and just hang out there. Again, because the Dead Sea is dead because it's got an inlet and no outlet. And God wants to not just fill us, but use us. And so when we come together as a family, God does great stuff. Amen? You have gifts I don't have. And God uses you to minister to me. And God uses you to minister to others in a way that I cannot. And God's given me gifts that maybe you don't have, and He allows me to minister to you. And that's what we do as a family. But notice that when He's dry, He's in the wilderness. Where does He go? The tabernacle of meeting. Hey, the enemy will always try to keep you from fellowship when you're struggling. Have you ever noticed that? You're going through a difficult time, and it's like, man, and the time you don't feel like going to church, that's the time you need to go the most. Isn't that true? The time when you're like, man, I'm tired and I just, you know, and I'm not, man, my wife and I are fighting and I'm just not, you know, and work is a drag and things are just, I'm not going. And the enemy's going, yeah, right? The Lord just saying, man, we just need to come when we're weak and weary and be fed by him. You know what? I've never, I can honestly say that, this. I, I grew up in the church. I've been going to church since I could crawl. And you know what? I've never been to church once where I was bummed that I went. Never. I never went, that was weak. Should have stayed home and watched a football game. I've never done that in my life. Now, maybe after tonight's message, you might go home and say that. I don't know. Should have stayed home and watched the Yankees and Red Sox, wherever it's on right now. But the reality is that God wants us to gather together and to worship Him. Is He worthy to be worshipped? He's worthy to be worshipped. You want a picture of heaven? Sing some praise songs. We're not going to read our Bibles in heaven because the Word's going to be there, and it's Jesus. Amen. And we're not going to witness to anybody in heaven because they're all going to be saved. Amen? And we're not going to have to go to work or anything else, but we are going to worship. And worshiping is a picture of heaven. I love corporate worship. And so we get... By the way, if we're going to have corporate worship, we kind of need a beer for worship. Oh, Pastor Dave getting in people's kitchen. But here's the reality... If we're going to worship, let's, I know on Wednesdays, I know it's tough. Some people work late and have to drive far distance. I'm just glad you're here. Last thing I want to do is pick on anybody. You know me. I love you guys. You show up at 830. I'm glad you're here. Okay? But I want to encourage you. Let's worship the Lord and let's make it a priority. We don't show up to movies 45 minutes late. Amen? Okay. Well, all right. So how about worship? What's more important? Terminator 3 or worshiping the Lord, right? And I didn't see that movie, by the way, okay? But here's, so the reality is that in a time of wilderness, in a time of dryness, where do we meet the Lord? In the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses goes there, and he's spending time with the creator of the universe. And I just love the fact that I get to spend time with the creator of the universe. My best friend created the universe. I'm not chanting to some non-existent God up in the sky. I'm not, you know, trying to conjure something up within myself. I know the creator of the universe. And what a blessing. And so it's been 13 months and he goes in and, and he seeks the Lord in the tabernacle of meeting. And the Lord instructs him. Verse 2 and 3. And it says, Take a census from all the congregation of the children of Israel. By their families, by their fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male individual. From 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. Now, why does he number them? Because when David numbered the army, how did that work out? Who remembers that story? What happened to David? Gordon. God said, uh, I'll give you three choices how you're going to be punished. You know? And uh, David picked one, and God freed a bunch of people. That's it. He numbered the people. Well, what were David's motives? David's motives were pride. David wanted to number the army to discover how great he was. David said, I'm going to number my army because we're pretty bad right about now. We've been whooping up on the whole world, and I'd like to see just how how bad I am. Let's number the people. And when he numbered the people, his motive was pride, and it broke the heart of God. Because they were not to be numbered so that man would be boastful. But he tells them to take a number here, to take a census. Let me tell you why. First of all, to verify just God's mercy and God's work. How many people went down into Egypt? Seventy. Four hundred years later, there is now six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty men. Did God fulfill his promise? He told Abraham what? He was going to make him a what? A great nation. He told them he was going to multiply him. And this census is to show them, first of all, again, that God is faithful to his promise to multiply the seed of Abraham. And as they take this number, they're going to see this massive number of people. Again, that God had done great things. Also, we're going to see that he's going to identify them. You know what? It says of the Lord that he is our good shepherd. And it says the good shepherd leaves the ninety and nine and goes after the what? The one. You know what? You can't go after the one if you don't know how many people or how many sheep that there are. And I believe that that we are to number sheep in the sense, as a pastor, I feel like I should know every single one of you. It's my heart to know all of you. I love the photo directory, by the way, here's that, that good segue, pictures are taken tonight. But here's the thing, I love the photo directory because that's one of the, my major prayer tools for praying for you guys. I don't do it all the time, my heart is to pray for every single one of you at least once a week. And I go through that photo directory and, and just pray for you, and some of you I know what to pray for because I know some details of what's going on in your life, and the ones that don't, I pray for you anyway. And the the point is that how will I know if someone's in the ditch if I don't know who's in the church? And And so here he's numbering the people that they, again, verifying how important every single one of them is. The Lord loves you. He would have died for just you. He numbers the hairs on your head. You're his treasured possession. And so the numbering of them here, the motives are not pride on man's part. But just to show God's blessing and how He cares for every individual, and then lastly, just for separation, that only those who were of the the Jewish lineage could fight on behalf of God's people. Again, if we've not been adopted into God's kingdom today, then we will not we can't do anything for his, can't do anything ministry wise for His kingdom. We must be born again before God can use us. Amen. And what I mean by that is, without the Holy Spirit, we're of no value. To the kingdom of God. We can do nothing for the kingdom of God. You know, there are people in churches that think, well, just go out and hire a bunch of really great musicians. They don't have to be saved. But just teach them some music. Have them get up and they'll be smoking. And people will, you know, show up to church on Sunday. And the reality is, I'd rather have an 8-year-old who's been playing guitar for a week, who's got the Holy Spirit in him, than having Jimi Hendrix up here leading worship. Amen? Because the key is that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot lead people into God's presence. We can give a performance... And so we see here the the separation, we see the verification of what God has done for them, and we also see just His concern for the individual. But lastly, I believe also we're going to see the consequence of sin. Because by seeing the number, we're also going to see that of that number, only two go into the land of promise. And we're going to see how heavy duty the consequences really are. All things are to be done decently and in order. And we're going to see that He gives them a clear direction. Again, no freelance, lone ranger Christianity. We need to be submitted to authority. God's our ultimate authority in His Word and be in a place of fellowship and accountability. Verse 4, And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one of, your, of the head of his father's house. So they're going to call up a leader from each tribe who would assist in the accounting of the people. And it's interesting, they're going to take someone from each family because, again, I believe this is the care for the individual, because someone in that family would know everyone in his family, and he would make sure every single person was counted, and that nobody was left out. And so when Moses came and they went to count the people, they were going to raise up these leaders from each of the families that they might help in that, that work in counting the people. Verses 5 through 19, we're going to see the naming of these people, and I find it interesting. I, I, I love to do this. I know several of you do, but I love to look at the meanings of people's names, because I don't believe that's by chance in God's Word. When you see someone's name in the Bible, I love to look it up, and it's amazing how appropriate it always is. But what's interesting to me is they've been in 400 years of bondage. There's been time while they were in Egypt that there was some clamoring against God, no doubt. God, have you forgotten about us? Waiting for the deliverer. But we're also going to see that in the midst of that, those are going to be chosen by God specifically. It says here in the next verse, next couple of verses that the Lord calls these guys by name. And He's going to call these guys by name, and even though they're living in in a place of bondage, we're going to find out that they obviously were raised in homes where God was being glorified because of the names that were given to each one of them. So let's begin in verse 5. It says, these are the names of the men that shall stand with you from Reuben, Eliezer, the son of Shadar. Now, Eliezer, in verse 5, his name means, my God is a rock. Now, if you're naming your son or your child, my God is a rock, you're probably not bitter against God, even though you're in bondage. Again, some supposition on your pastor's part, but these names all honor God, right down the list. Out of all these families, these huge numbers, in some cases up to 75,000 people, they pull one man out. And the man that they pull out to assist in the counting and the caring for the individuals are men whose names point to God. Verse 6 says there and from Simeon, Shalemuel, the son of really long name starting with a Z, okay? And and his name means at peace with God. Then, the, then under from the tribe of Judah, Nashon, which means one who points to God, or a diviner. Then in verse 8, from Issachar, Nathanael, his name means the gift of God. Then it says in verse 9, from Zebulun, Eliab, his name is my God is the Father. I love these names. I mean, again, remember, 400 years of bondage, but they have not forgotten God. These guys are being raised up from families, again, from the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice that as we're going through, these are the 12 tribes, and these are men representing each one of the tribes that are called by God to minister to the individuals and help them with the counting of the people. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishama, again, means God has heard. And the son of Amahud from Manasseh, Gamaliel, now, Gamaliel means my God is a rewarder. Now, I want you to notice here that from Joseph that there are two that are, that are called out. From Ephraim and Manasseh, there are two. Why? Let me tell you why. Because the Levites were not counted, in, in a sense, among the twelve tribes. Because they were set apart by God to specifically do ministry in, in the tabernacle. So from Joseph's tribe, there were two. From two of his sons from Ephraim, and from Manasseh. Okay? From Benjamin, Ab- Abadan means my father is judge. Ahazer from the tribe of Dan means the brother of help. From Asher, his son Pagel means event of God. And, from, and in verse 14, from the tribe of Gad, Elisaph means God has added. And then lastly, from Naphtali, it's, it, now this one I didn't quite understand, but his name means his brother is evil. So evidently this guy's brother was evil. Send God's word and there it is, okay? But what I see here again is remember that these guys were all named when? When they were in 400 years of bondage in Egypt. But even in, after 400 years in bondage, there were still those that had faith in God. There were those who murmured against God. There were those who didn't believe the deliverer was coming. There were those who griped and complained and moaned, but there were still those that were looking for the deliverer. Boy, isn't that a picture of the, the world we live in today? Amen. Is the Deliverer coming? Jesus is coming back, amen? And you know what? No matter how wicked it gets around us, and no matter how vile things can become, God is faithful, He's in control, we need to just keep looking up, amen? Hey, my my boys' names are David James, John Matthew, and Mark Andrew. I wonder where I got those names from. And the reality is, I love having, my name's David, and I loved growing up with that name because whenever they would talk about David and Goliath in the Bible, it would just get my attention, and you know, that's the same things happening to these parents. They're naming their kids names that honor God. And we see here that God Himself, it says here that the Lord called these guys out by name. The Lord said, From, that, from the tribe of, of Naphtali, I want a Hira to be the one. From the tribe of Gad, Eliseth. You know what? Is God still calling people by name today? Yes, He is. He calls us into ministry. It may not be, and more times than not, it's not an audible voice, but he calls us. You know, one of the things I tell people all the time, I'm um, going to be going over to Modesto to speak to the uh, school of ministry over there. And one of the things I'm going to tell them that I tell people all the time, for full-time ministry, if you can do anything else, go do it. Because if God's called you, you can't do anything else. Amen? If God has a call on your life to be doing it full-time for him, there's, I don't care what job is offered to you, nothing else can compare to what God's called you to do. But you know what? Even if you're not called to full-time ministry, God's called us all to ministry. Amen? He's called all of you. If you're saved, you're called. And the calling He has on your life, and the, and the desire and that burden that He's given you, He wants to use you in a mighty and a powerful way, and He will if you'll just let Him. Verse 16 says, These were chosen from the congregation, leaders of the Father's tribes, Heads of the division of Israel. Again, the word there for chosen in the original language literally is called. These guys were called by God to care for the individuals. Now we're going to go through that, verse 17 through 19. Then Moses and Aaron took... These men who had been mentioned by name, and I love that, mentioned by name, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they recited their ancestry by families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above, Each one individually. As the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. So they responded immediately to God's command. These guys are starting off well. God told them to do it. They mounted them up. They assembled them. They called the guys. And the people got up and they recited their ancestry again to prove that they were indeed Jews. So that they could go into battle. Again. The battle belongs to the Lord, but we have a spiritual battle that we're in, and we can't be a part of it unless we've been filled with the Spirit of the living God and we're new creations in Him. Verse 20 through 43, we're going to see the numbering of each tribe, and they number only the children from 20 years and older. I'm going to go through this fairly quickly. Now, the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, their genealogies by families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old above, All who were able to go to war. So they only numbered those who could go to war. So they had to be 20 years or older, and it was only the males that they numbered. Now I'm going to read the numbers to you, and I'm going to tell you that there's going to be, in chapter 26, there's going to be another set of a census. And we're going to see that the numbers change, because that's going to be a whole new group of people. Remember, it's going to be after the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, after all these people I'm telling you about are all dead, outside of two of them. Everybody else is going to be dead. And there's going to be a new number, but I want you to see something as we look at this. So from the tribe of Reuben there in verses 21, it says there's 46,500. When we get later, there's going to be 43,730. Okay, in chapter 26, that number's going to go down. Now remember, these numbers were multiplying incredibly. Remember it went from 70 people to roughly 3 million in 400 years? And now in a 40-year period of time, the number's going to go down. Why? Because of rebellion. Because of unbelief. Because they didn't follow God. Because they weren't serving Him. The fruitfulness went away. Verse 23, we see from the house of Simeon, 59,300. When we get to chapter 26, it's going to drop all the way down to 22,000. In verse 25, the, the, from Gad, 45,650. It's going to drop to 40,500. The tribe of Judah, in, chapter, in verse 27, interestingly enough, Judah actually grows. Now, Judah. What's significant about Judah? Jesus. He's the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. And he's a descendant. Mary and Joseph both actually were descendants, even though Joseph is not his physical father. But Joseph is stepdad who raised him in a sense. Both of Mary and Joseph come from the tribe of Judah. In verse 29, Issachar, 50,400. That one also grows a little bit to 64,000. Zebulun from 57,000 to 60, in verse 31. In verse 33, Ephraim is going to go from 40,500 down to 32,000. Manasseh is going to go from 32,000 and it's actually going to grow to 52,000. Benjamin, in verse 37, from 35 to 45. Dan, from 62 to 64. Asher, in verse 41, from forty-one-five to 53,000. And then lastly, in Naphtali, from 53,400 to 45,400. But the bottom line is, when you get to verse 46, it says there, all who were numbered were 603,550. And 40 years later, the number's going to be 601,730. So there's actually going to be a decline in the number, but here's the interesting part. is basically, it's going to be a whole new set of people. That's 603,550 is all going to be gone outside of two people, outside of two of the males. Incredible. Why? Because when they got to the land, they saw the giants in the land and said, it's just too much for us. We can't do it. We better run away. You know what? I'm glad that you guys are called to be here in Santa Cruz because we could look at the giants in the land in Santa Cruz County. Amen? And again, I love being here because this is where God wants me to be. But if I had to just choose a place to live, I'm just fessing up, okay? I probably wouldn't choose Santa Cruz. I'm just telling you the truth, okay? Why? Because the reality is, a lot of what goes on in this town, I'm not a big fan of, right? I mean, last year on Halloween, it said on the front page of the Sentinel, Santa Cruz's most beloved holiday, Halloween. If you looked in the religion section this week, they had a huge article on the goddess Diana, and worshiping Mother Earth, and chanting to the moon god, and all, I mean, That's Santa Cruz. But here's the good news. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And God wants to do great stuff in Santa Cruz. And He loves these people, and He's given me a supernatural love for them, and my prayer is that He's given all of us a supernatural love for the people of Santa Cruz. Amen? God brought us here by divine appointment, and here's my heart. I'm here until Jesus comes back. I don't want to put God in a box because He can do anything He wants, but my heart is, this is it for me. I'm not going anywhere. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I just want to love these people. I want to go downtown loving those folks. And I want everybody who comes into this place to feel welcomed and loved. And we see here that this whole turnover, this transformation came because of unbelief. And may we not fall into that trap and be overwhelmed and think, oh, man, Santa Cruz is such a... you ever talk to somebody and tell them you live in Santa Cruz? What do they say to you? What do they tell you? That place is satanic, man. That place is dark. Man, that's, isn't that like Berkeley? And isn't it like Haight-Ashbury downtown? And man, they still, you know, everybody's still wearing tie-dye down there. And You know what I mean? And that's what they say. But here's the reality, that Jesus loves these people. And we get to be here. And it's a get-to and not a have-to. And I'm blessed to be here. I'm, I, I'm excited. I can't, I'm so thankful God called me to be in Santa Cruz. I don't know about you. Amen? And so, let's love these folks. And let's not allow the, the, you know, the circumstances around us to overwhelm us. Our God is greater than anything. And it might also be, and in, in not just be where you live, but it might be in your individual life. Maybe you've been diagnosed with a disease that, that the world says is incurable. I know the great physician, and I can introduce you to him. Amen? Our God is the great physician. Maybe your finances are overwhelming. Maybe other things in your life that have nothing to do with where you live are just overwhelming to you. And I want to encourage you that our God is greater than that. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? And our God is a victorious God. Hey, if you, you know what? I know we're way back in numbers on, on Wednesdays, but if you read to the end of the book, we win. Amen? We win. We're going to spend eternity with the creator of the universe. It's all good. And so we see here that sadly, that these guys are going to start out well. 603,550. They line up like they're supposed to. They're going to be marching in the shape of a cross. They're going to be headed to the land of promise. But when they get there, they're going to look at land and go, oh, it's too much for us. Let's go back to Egypt. May we never turn back, may we always look ahead, amen? May we leave behind those things that are behind us and press forward to that higher calling in Christ that He's got in every one of our lives. And then lastly, verses 47 through 53, it says there, "...but the Levites were not numbered among them by their fathers, for the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But you shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony." over all its furnishings and over all the things that belong in it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp around the tabernacle. So they were not numbered with because they were not to go to war because they were to focus on one thing, taking care of the tabernacle. Now, this was a heavy-duty job, you guys, because remember we went through the tabernacle in Exodus? Every time they moved, you know what they had to do? Take the whole thing down, carry it, and put it all back up. This is the original setup committee, right? You guys were setting up chairs. You'd have been great Levites. Okay, these guys were taking the whole tabernacle and carrying all the furnishings, and every time they moved, had to put it all back together. And the holy of holies was there, and they had to do it perfect and just right. And so they were so focused on just serving in the tabernacle, there was no time for them to do anything else. That had to be their number one focus. And I believe they had the highest calling. But look what it says there. I love this. It says there that they, in verse uh, 49, they that attend to it shall camp around the tabernacle. Now, where did the glory of God dwell during those days? In the tabernacle. And look who got to camp out closest to the glory of God. Those who served in ministry. I believe it's the same today. And I'm not talking about pastors. I'm talking about, You want to get closer to God? Start serving Him. Amen? Start serving others. Start esteeming others greater than yourself. Start praying in the morning, Lord, give me an opportunity to lay down my life for you today. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be what? Servant Servant of all. And God desires that we all have the heart of servants. Servants at at Cabrillo College. You know, servants at UCSC. Servants in our neighborhood. Servants, you know, at, at our workplace. Everywhere we go, may we lay down our lives for Him, and may we let God use us in a mighty way. You want to get closer to God? Start serving Him. And I want to encourage you with something. I'm blessed because we got a church full of servants. Amen? I'm really blessed. I pray God, bring the servants first. You guys showed up. You must be them. And you really have. You've been t- absolutely, completely, totally servants. But notice those who serve are the ones who were able to camp out closest. Verse 51. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levite shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levite shall set it up. And the outsider who comes near shall be what? Put to death. Anybody who came near to the glory of God that was not called by God to serve Him in that way was put to death. This is a picture of those who strive to reach God apart from Christ. You know, we cannot come before the Lord apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? And if we strive to do things in our flesh, they will be fruitless, even as Christians. You know, we need to be obedient to what God's calling us to do. And this is one of the things I I love to do as a pastor. I love to give ministry away because I know I'm not called to do everything. Now, some of you might think I'm called to do everything, but let me just tell you, I'm not. Okay? I'm not. And I know what my gifts are. You know what I'm called to do? Let me make it real clear. I'm called to pray, study God's Word, counsel people, and teach the Bible. That's what I'm called to do. And you know what? I love to do that. I love praying for you. I love counseling with you guys. I love to study the Bible. I can't believe I get to do this. And then I love to teach it. And that's what I'm called. Now, it doesn't mean I'm not called to set up chairs because I am. I mean, I'm called to do those other things, but I know that I'm not called to be the worship leader. And thank God for, and, and praise the Lord for your guys' benefit that I'm not. All right? And I know I'm not called to do other things, but you know what? There are things that you're called to do, and God wants you to be obedient to that because, you know, if, if everybody's an eye, where's the hearing the Bible says? And for all hands, where are the feet? And God wants to use all of us in a mighty way. But it says the outsider who tries to come in and do something contrary to what he's called to do shall be put to death. It's going to be fruitless. If I tried to lead worship, it would be fruitless. Because I'm not called to do that. But God's got a calling on all of our lives. Last couple of verses. The children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. We're going to see the significance of this in chapter 2. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, that they, there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. The Levite shall keep charge on the tabernacle of the testimony. It's interesting that he's saying, if you don't keep charge of the tabernacle, there will be wrath upon God's people. You notice that in the text there? When we get away from God, what happens? Consequences of sin. You know what? We need to be praying for our country. Amen. We're getting further and further away from God all the time. You know that right now in the Supreme Court, they're debating on whether or not to take under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance? Because some atheist said it, it infringes on His rights. You know, and here's the reality. God is God whether you believe in Him or not. Amen? And, it's, and we need to be one nation under God if we want to continue to to be blessed as a nation. But we're getting further and further away from Him all the time. Verse 54, Thus the children of Israel did according to all that God commanded Moses, so they did. So we'll notice that in the beginning they began well. The two to three million people responded in obedience to God's Word, but sadly their fear of their circumstances would soon result in rebellion to God's command and their wanting to go back to Egypt and them wandering in the wilderness aimlessly until they died instead of following God's promise. You know what? I want to encourage you. God has called all of us. May we not waver, may we not be overwhelmed by our circumstances. And and let me just talk to you your pastor for a second. You know what? I know some of you that I see God's calling so clearly on your life. It's so evident to me. And I and I will encourage you, but I will never call you because if I call you you're doing it for me. But I know God has something awesome he wants to do with you. And I'm speaking to almost everybody in this room. I just see it, it's evident to me. But I know that sometimes we can think, as soon as I get done with this, then I'll start serving God. As soon as my kids get into kindergarten, then I'll have more time. As soon as my kids get into high school and start driving themselves. Well, as soon as my kids graduate from high school. Well, I've got to pay for college now, so I've got to work some extra. Well, as soon as the grandkids are old enough to get into school. And before you know it, we blink and our life is over. Amen? As soon as I get married, as soon as I, you know, we have the kids that we want. As soon as I get that promotion at work. As soon as I get the debts paid off. As soon as I get the, we've always got this, as soon as I, then I'll, does God want to use us right now? Amen? I just want to encourage you. God wants to use you right now. We don't need to wait. Life is but a bit of vapor. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. May we be like Joshua and Caleb who walk in obedience to God's command, trusting Him to be faithful to His Word. They saw the enemy, and what did they say? Let's go get them. I like that. Numbers chapter 13. Hey, you see those guys? The Lord promised, let's go get them. No fear. For those in Christ Jesus. Amen? And you know what? The Lord loves Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz. Holy Cross. Let's go get them for Jesus. Amen? Amen? Let's go love them. Let's go share with them the love of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, just for the example that we're going to see as we go through this book of Numbers. As they wander in the wilderness, Lord, and the struggles they go through. But, Father, I pray for us that when we go through times of dryness, that we would be like, like Moses. That we would seek you in your tabernacle of meeting. And Father, I pray when the circumstances get overwhelming, that Father God, we would not be like those who want to go back to Egypt or go back to the world or try to find comfort in the things the world can offer, Lord. But may we press into you and seek after you with a deeper heart. Father, I pray for every person who's here, Lord. Just strengthen us and encourage us, Lord, that we might be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to see the world with your eyes. Help us to love people the way that you love them. Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.